Welcome to Let's Talk. Here we will focus on the hustle, the juggle, and everyday struggle of small business. We will be here every week talking to small business owners about their everyday struggles, stresses, and ways they have been able to overcome the challenges of running their business. We welcome questions and comments, so please feel free to email us at admin at plemonscpa.com. We hope you enjoy, and above all, we hope it helps. Well, welcome to the hustle, juggle, and struggle of small business. This is Thalia Williams, your co-host today. We have in our studio Chris Hall of Pontum Financial as our host, and we have as our guest a phenomenal attorney by the name of Rebecca Smith of Rebecca Smith Law Firm. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Well, Chris, you're going to go ahead and kick off, so let's go ahead and get started. Great to have you here today, Rebecca. Thank you so much for spending some time. We know um, the, uh, the the dynamic for people's lives right now is a little bit different, so it's it, it's time-consuming, and everyone's schedule is all over the place, so we really appreciate you being here. Well, I appreciate you guys inviting me on board. Absolutely. Can you uh, maybe start by introducing yourself, just giving us a little bit of background? I, I had the luxury and time to read through your website. It's, a, it's an impressive resume to say the least. So if you could just share with the audience a little bit about your background, that'd be fantastic. Certainly. So my name is Rebecca Smith. I am the founder and owner of the Rebecca Smith Law Firm, PLLC. Um, my office is located at 410 and Blanco, but I haven't always been an attorney. I used to be a soldier in the United States Army. And when I was on active duty, I wasn't with JAG. I actually worked in the medical field. Um, when I retired, I went to work for some of the larger corporations here, LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics. And when I had my midlife crisis, instead of buying a Corvette, I went to law school on my GI Bill. So I worked during the day. I had two teenage children at home as a single parent and went to law school because I like a challenge. Um, when I graduated from law school, I you know, passed the bar, went to work for a law firm here in town, always knowing that I wanted to open up my own shop. And so after, you know, a couple of years of working for the firm, I hung out my shingle in 2017 and haven't looked back since. Nice. I really like that. Two teenagers and law school. Yeah, that was a midlife crisis, girl. <laughs> well, and you have a, you have a, uh, a reduced version or an abridged version of your resume. So as you were going through that resume out, my jaw dropped. So that's, that's, that's quite the midlife crisis. I agree. I'll echo that. So, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, there are so many different things that I could talk about with you from, you know, your military background and how you transitioned and used your GI bill. Cause living in military cities, you know, Texas, it's uh there's, there's a lot of that that goes on. So a lot of the military personnel that, that exit and a lot of my clients have left the military, started their own business and being able to talk to someone who has been there, done that is, is paramount. It's, it's one of the best assets that you have on your resume is that you can talk through those uh, items, those, those tasks, the different things that you went through having the experience, not only from the, the professional side of the desk, but also from the consumer side or the, the, the learning side of the desk. So being able to walk people through that. Can you give us some insight into how you did that, how you transitioned from the big firm or working at a firm to what made you decide that you wanted to do that? Because I think it will 
will will coincide very well with some of the people that were are listening to this podcast. Certainly. So I have always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, my dad was actually active duty as well for 21 years in the United States Army. And I, I went from, you know, one duty station to another growing up. And when we got stationed at Fort Lee, I noticed at the local, um, at that time I was in middle school, they didn't have a school store. So I took my allowance and went to the commissary and bought candy and gum and pencils and pens and notebooks. And I opened up my own school store until, you know, I, that's my first run in with the press of regulation. Once the assistant principal found out that I was selling things out of my locker, I got shut down and put in, in school suspension. Um, but I honestly believe that folks who are in the military, um, you know, we are in some ways have an advantage when it comes to you know, opening up our own business and being entrepreneurial in that we're very, very mission oriented. And, and much of our careers that we spend in the military, it's like we, we understand that, you know, you have to have tasks that need to be completed and how to stay on task and stay on target. And if something doesn't go right, how to do an after action review to figure out, like, you know, why did this thing not work or how can I do it better the next time? Um, so when I was in law school, I took the classes like, you know, law practice management and, and marketing of a law firm, as well as, you know, a sundry of other classes. Um, and I always knew that I really loved small businesses. I, I love helping folks, you know, get their businesses started, help them grow their businesses, buy or sell businesses. And so that's when I finally got out of law school, that's what I looked for. And I did get hired at a, a medium-sized firm here in town. And, you know, that provided just invaluable experience to me to actually learn how to do the things, to hone my craft, if you will. So when I made the leap, you know, from going from, you know, the, the comfort of a steady paycheck at a law firm to running my own business, it's, it, I kind of knew exactly what I was getting into um, but nothing prepares you for how many different hats you have to wear. And, but it's all a very learnable skill. And there's, um, San Antonio has a tremendous entrepreneurship environment here. We have a number of organizations that, you know, are nonprofits that assist, you know, entrepreneurs in figuring out how to effectively run a, a business and make money at it. Yes, they do. That is very true in the support that the city of San Antonio offers. It, it's no reason other than you not willing to put in the effort that you can't be successful with the support here. And that is phenomenal in the sense that you recognize that that support is here and you utilized it. And that's the best part about this. Well, and one of the aspects. So here's of, the tricky bit, though. It's okay. Oh, I was about to say, here's the tricky bit, though. Um, when I first started out on my own, I didn't realize all the resources that were available through Bear County, the Small Business Development Center, Bunker Labs, Velocity, um, you know, even areas at Geektum. I, I had no idea that these resources and opportunities existed until, you know, I just by chance wound up opening my office at the Lift Fund Business Incubator business down near downtown when I first started my law firm. And that's how I opened up the Pandora's box of, of 
you know, different resources available for small business owners. Well, it's fascinating too, because a lot of those resources, they're, they're, more readily available than maybe they were whenever you started your law firm. But there's, there's always some kind of catalyst with small business owners that I noticed. There's a, there's a, something that I wouldn't say pushes them into it, but definitely a catalyst that makes them make the decision and really kind of creates the clear decision to, to, to transition into opening their own shop. And by that time, the, the lead time that you might want, uh, if you were considering being an entrepreneur, that might be ideal to be able to plan out, you know, have a business plan, go through a pro forma, all those different things that a, a business owner in learns in college, you know, or, or just by things they need to do they they don't really, they don't really, they aren't really available whenever you really pull the trigger on moving forward. So by then time it becomes, um, you know, a, a ready shoot aim. So as opposed to ready aim fire, it's it's one of those things where you ha- you really have to learn on the job. So what the Power Five really seeks to do is try to educate the business owners on those different professionals that they can surround themselves with that have the knowledge of those different programs that know who the resources are and who the people that that will be able to provide information as well as guidance on making those decisions. So that's one of the reasons the attorney plays such a major role. Most people, most business owners that I know, they will visit an attorney two, maybe three times in the process, uh, in the, in the, in the sequence of their business or throughout the life of their business. One is maybe through initial entity formation or to, to get a will done or something along those lines. Two is if they receive a summons of some sort. So, cause a lot of business owners are going to face that. And then three is, you know, how do, how do I get my will updated after my business is actually valuable? But can you go over some of the different functions that an attorney can really help with just kind of high level? And then we're going to dig down into them individually one by one, if that's okay. But just from a high level standpoint, I know there are a lot, so maybe focus on, you know, your top say three or four. So absolutely. So I, I always tell folks that, you know, you want your You want to make sure that when you start your business, that you've really thought it through, begin with the end in mind and avail yourself of all of the information that's out there. And, you know, the Internet is an incredible source of information. The problem is, is not all of it's accurate and not all of it's applicable. So each state is allowed to govern the businesses within the borders of their state. And so, you know, folks need to see attorneys, you know, when they begin their businesses and they're, you know, forming an entity to make sure that it's structured correctly and they know the things that they need to do to maintain compliance and avoid problems um, in the sense that if you don't, you know, conduct your business properly and God forbid if a lawsuit should come, then you will most likely have your entity disregarded and they will establish alter ego. And those plaintiff's attorneys will come after you personally as if you never opened your business. Yeah. I remember one, uh, the LLC is actually kind of a recent formation, but not, not too recent, but from a, you know, in a general scope, but I had a client who had a, uh, an LLC in, in Texas. And there were, there were other States that still hadn't signed off on how to treat it and the treatment of it. And, you know, they owned a business here that did business in other states and owned real estate in other states, and they thought that it was going to be perfectly fine, but they had never consulted with an attorney where the attorney would have gone to maybe to to make sure or communicate with another attorney in that state 
and just, but it's, it's amazing how much it can vary from state to state. So it was just fascinating to me. Absolutely. The um, other thing that I think folks, when they're first getting into business or, you know, uh, running their, their own, own shop that they don't realize is that contracts are essentially, you know, the, the bone and, and muscle of all businesses. And so, you know, I call it, you know, they're so busy picking up pennies that they're letting dollars fly out the door. And instead of paying an attorney, you know, to review a contract, they'll just look over it themselves and sign it, not entirely understanding or realizing all of the, the traps that are in the contract. And, and the same thing goes with, you know, when they decide to sign a commercial lease or if they're establishing contracts for themselves, you know, in order to service their clients. And, you know, here in Texas, it's like, you know, we're very much honorable people and they try to do work on a handshake and just with, you know, an oral, you know, a man's as good as it is word or a woman's as good as her word. And, you know, that's all we need between us. The problem with those types of contracts is there's misunderstandings, right? So it's not that anyone ever meant to be dishonorable or anyone ever meant to, you know, be deceptive, but two parties can have a conversation, shake hands and walk away with a completely different idea of, you know, what the scope of work is, what the obligation are and what the terms of payment are. And when you are able to put those things into a contract, that you have something that's written down, everybody can read it, everybody signs it, everybody's on board with exactly what every each party intended. It just simply makes for better business. That is very true because those contracts, if you don't if you don't have something in writing, the misinterpretation of what you think you heard versus the reality of what they said, all of a sudden now becomes very murky. It becomes extremely unclear. Then the level of expectation is, well, you said you were going to do this. No, that's not what I said. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. Whereas when it's in Mm -hmm. writing, it's clear everybody. And if you don't understand it, you get a dictionary and or the source and you figure it out. But ultimately, everybody knows exactly what is being expected and what is supposed to be delivered. Well, and the hitch, the hitch really, it's not just in the verbal cues or the verbal conversation, but now you have so many different communications that are communicating via text message, via email that are still what, you know, Rebecca might consider a binding agreement or where a court might consider a binding agreement, but they are still very capable of being misinterpreted. And when a lot of people will ask, why do I need a 10 page document to say something that could be said and agreed upon with a handshake? Well, that's a part, that's a prime example of why you need to do that because what's said to you is not received the same way. And we, and, and people just by nature have everything from body language to verbal language to, to biases that are, that are present in their conversation, the way they use words, the connotation of those words. So that's where an attorney really comes in handy because what is said by one is not understood the same way by the other, same way that I have, I, I, pretty much refuse to have any kind of conversation with my wife via text. So, <laughs> cause, cause it's, you know, if I, if I tell her or if I ask her, Hey, you know, what's for what, dinner? What time are we? Well, what time are we? I always use this as an example and she can't stand it. So, but whenever I say, what time is, what time is the party, you know, for the kids party on, on Saturday? Well, it's, it's at three o'clock. Well, to me, 
3 o'clock means, okay, I need to be leaving the house by 2.30 so I can arrive at 3. To her, that means we are leaving the house at 3 p.m. to get there. So it's just, and that's a prime example of one of those different, and that's the thing, that's the worst part about it is that neither one is wrong or right. And the way that, the way that the law was written, Rebecca, you could probably confirm this is that it was written in a way that's flexible enough to be left open to some interpretation and allow for flexibility, but still solid enough to be able to establish guidelines, parameters, and expectations. Exactly. And then, you know, and a good attorney can, you know, also prevent what we call misinterpretation or ambiguity in a contract as well. So that way, you know, it's very clear as to what the expectation of the parties are and what the obligations of them are. So, um, you know, and, you know, other types of contracts that are really important for small business owners are things like non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements. I can't tell you how many times I've had small business owners come up to me and they're like, you know, I met this guy and at a you know networking event and he seemed really great and we were both on the same page and you know, we talked and, you know, he ghosted me like two weeks ago. I never, you know, he just quit taking my calls, <laughs> quit responding to me. And then I was driving by and, you know, he had <laughs> used my idea. He stole my idea and he wants to sue him. Right. And I'm like, you know, you know, did you have a mutual non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement? Well, no. And it's like, well, you did, you did, he didn't steal your idea. You gifted it to him. Mm. Right. And you gave him his idea. So any, and a lot of small business owners don't understand that, that, you know, even in that pre-contemplation phase, even when you are, you know, you got this idea and it's kind of running around your head, but it hasn't quite come into the world yet. It has not become a reality. Even when you're in that pre-contemplation phase, that is an entrepreneur and you're kind of trying to work your idea out and solidify and you're getting information and learning and, you know, trying to figure out if this is going to be a thing for you, you have to be very careful about whom you talk to about your business ideas. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with going into a collaboration with someone, and it can often be very beneficial. Um, the other thing that you have to remember is that anytime that you have conversations with people and you're disclosing this confidential information, if you don't have these contracts in place to protect yourself, well, you're, you're pretty much just letting them take everything that you've really worked hard for. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, afterwards, these are things that have to be done proactively. Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to say something tongue in cheek. So don't, don't, you know, throw your hands up in the air, say, Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But so Rebecca, to that point, you know, why can't, why can't I just go online and set up an LLC for my business or download a non you know, non-disclosure agreement, um, and have them sign that at the time and, and everything should be fine. Right. I mean, it's that, and that's probably <laughs> sadly enough. I, I receive that comment way too frequently, um, for comfort. So part of the problem, so once again, the internet is an incredible, (laughs) like transformative instrument in our society. Um, Sometimes I think there's almost, it is, it is, especially when it comes to things like legal things. I have seen those types of, of contracts that you're talking about. And in, once again, the problem is, is number one, they're not very well written. 
Number two, the big problem is, is they're not based on Texas law. And so, you know, I've read through them. They're like, well, I had this contract and it, you know, it could be a non-disclosure agreement. Sometimes they're company agreements, you know, where they, you know, went online and formed an LLC and they just, you know, I guess went to some place. And I guess there's like LegalZoom and Rocket Docket and a couple of other online places where you can get those types of contracts. The problem being is, is you just kind of type in information. You don't really understand what's going on and you get these papers back and you don't understand what these papers are, what they mean. And what happens is, is that, you know, you don't, they're not a problem until something goes south. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That's always Everything's the thing. great till it ain't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything's great till it ain't. And when it ain't, you take, you know, and you go and you get these documents that you got from wherever and you bring them to a lawyer and they're reading through them going, you know, this isn't even based in Texas law. This is an unenforceable contract. Or, you know, when I worked for the law firms, one of our partners put a kid through private college in California on legal Zoom debacles because, you know, they'd go to legal Zoom, they wouldn't see the counsel of an attorney. And and then all of a sudden everything blows up and they're like, Well, I got this 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 stuff that I got, you know, in the mail. But nobody signed it or it was written for a single member limited liability company. And there is like seven members and mm. nobody transferred the membership legally. And it, it's just a mess. And, you know, and then you wind up paying a lawyer like buku dollars, like yeah, 10000 or more dollars trying to figure out this mess. Lawyers are incredibly expensive. So, you know, it's better to be proactive on these things than it is to wait. Um Texas, um, I know estate planning too. There's like Susie Orman and LegalZoom and a bunch of other ones that, you know, because everybody's like, well, I need to have a will because, you know, going online is better than nothing, right? Well, no. the problem is, is, is Texas, no, exactly, no. <laughs> so Texas has some very peculiar rules and laws when it comes to um, the execution of estate planning documents and, and last wills and testaments and uh, revocable trust and things like that. And in actuality, it can create more problems uh, because if the will is done improperly, you know, now after you're gone, often, you know, your family members have to open up two estate procedures, right. one to probate the the will that is insufficient. And another is a determination of heirship as if you had died without a will. Right. And, you know, your property and your things wind up going to people that you never intended, not because, you know, you, you were trying to do the right thing. It's just you went to the wrong place to try to get your documents done at. Yeah. I always to go back to the the using the online one. I always tell people, well, the, the one contract that I was always say is an excellent agreement to have from LegalZoom or to to look at. The probably the best contract on there is the contract that protects them from you suing them if something goes <laughs> south. So the the terms of you know the terms that you agree to whenever you pay them. So for no recourse, it's pretty pretty amazing. I said if that one's twelve pages and the one they're giving you is three pages, you should probably know something's yeah. not right. And, and people, you know, I run into this on a personal side and a business side, 
um, where where people look at their situation and they say, you know what, I don't I don't really have to worry about that. I don't have that much. Um, so from a, from a personal standpoint or my business isn't that large and I, I really don't need this. I can just Mm -hmm. go to, you know, and, and not to throw CPAs under the bus, but I can have my CPA start the LLC, but they, they don't get the operating agreement or they don't get, you know, the, 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 the articles of incorporation, whatever it may be. Um, but to, to, can you explain to us when that becomes important because most people think that oh my business has to be doing this or i have to have employees or you know something of that nature so when is the best time and what is the best size of your business or estate to be able to do that so um everyone should you know no matter how you're operating your business you should practice what i call good business habits Um, I always tell folks, like, number one, begin with the end in mind. So it's not where you're at, but it's where you want to be. Because a lot of times people start off as a sole proprietorship simply because it's, you know, costs nothing and, you know, it's easy to do and there's really no paperwork involved. But the problem comes is when their business starts growing and developing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, when they do start that company, they do start like a limited liability company or corporation. Now there's a lot of pain in their life that they could have avoided if they had simply started off in the entity that they knew they needed to be. A quick add in Rebecca, Mm -hmm. do you find that through that process, whenever they first start out and then they start getting busier and they have pain, do you find that they have more time whenever their business is growing rapidly and they have more pain? So do you find that they have a lot of time to just set aside and sit down with an attorney compared to if they would have done it prior? I just love adding that in there. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, Because the biggest thing is, is you cannot convert that, that EIN. So when you're operating as a sole proprietor, when you open up a company like an LLC, you have to change your EIN. So if you have to have new bank accounts, you have to open up new lines of credits. If you were paying state sales tax, you're going to have to transfer that. You're going to, you know, pay a CPA a bunch of money to help get all this. You know, if you had equipment, if you had vehicles, everything needs to be transferred over. Because when you operate as a sole proprietor or a partnership, you are your business. There's no separation between the two. So when you create that entity, whether it be a limited liability company or a corporation, you are creating something separate from yourself, something that is it can own property. It can enter into contracts. You know, it can hire and fire employees. It can pay taxes. It can do everything that a human being can do except for vote. I can understand that. So in essence, you have more time at the beginning of the process than you do once you get knee deep, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Okay. Because that growth is bringing its own pain points. Whereas if you had a Mm -hmm. looked at the end from the beginning, you would have been able to avoid some of that pain point. Right. Well, and I always like to use this saying, you don't want to climb all the way up this ladder and then find out you propped it against the wrong building or the wrong ladder you're climbing. Exactly. So in, and one yeah. of the things that we con- that we that we I would say we hear whenever people are first starting out and we we Im- we urge them to do this is well what if I ha- what if what if it doesn't work out what if the business doesn't succeed well then I will have spent all this money up front for nothing and I tell them eh, not really actually because whenever you're winding up a business and you're out is going to be considered is that correct well yeah and everything that they spend on the business is tax deductible that's a good point 
So, you know, I, I always tell folks, does every single person need to be a limited liability company or entity? No. So, you know, I have a friend who lives in Ohio and she's got a great job. You know, she, she works for a union. She loves her job. She loves the people that she works with. But when her, you know, her only child moved and left and went to college, she found she had a lot of time on her hands. So she opened up a jewelry business and she, you know, spends her evenings and she does jewelry classes and she sells them and she makes good money selling her jewelry. So she created a little sole proprietorship. She never wants to be James Avery, right? She doesn't have any other employees. She doesn't have any of the huge risk factors that go along with opening a business. She is just delighted to just have this simple little hobby slash business. Does she need to be a limited liability company or corporation? No. Right. But if you are opening this business with you're going to hire employees or you're going to have vehicles or you're the type of business that carries a lot of liability with it. You know, and when a lawyer says a lot of liability, that means is your you know, chance of being sued, you know, goes is different depending on the industry in which you operate. So if you have anything that flies, floats or rolls associated with your business, your chance of getting sued goes up because accidents happen. If you have employees, your chance of getting sued goes up. If you're producing a product to send into the stream of commerce or for consumption, right, your risk of being sued goes up because you are responsible for whatever you put into that stream of commerce. So, you know, your first and best defense against a lawsuit is always good insurance. So that's why having a good insurance agency and making sure that you are properly insured, depending on the type of business you're in, you know, it's it's like having a car. If you get into an accident on 410, you don't go hire a lawyer. You just call your insurance company. Well, the same is true of a business owner. If you're in business and something happens and it's a covered claim, you just call your insurance company and they, they handle it. You don't have to go hire an attorney. I love it. Thank you, Rebecca. For more information about any of our guests, or if you have questions and comments, please email us at admin at And don't forget to check out our website, plemonscpa.com, for upcoming events and workshops in San Antonio. David B. Plemons CPA Inc. is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or their concepts or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. or any of its officials. You should always consult your own investment advisors, attorneys, and accountants before making any decisions concerning your financial matters. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office. Chris Hall is a partner with Pontum Financial and offers securities and investment products and services through Waddell and Reed Incorporated, WRI, member FINRA slash SIPC. Pontum Financial is a separate entity from WRI. Waddell and Reed is not affiliated with David C. Plemons CPA. Waddell and Reed Financial Advisors are able to offer insurance products through arrangements Waddell and Reed has made with outside insurance companies.
The information presented on this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not to be constructed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product or service mentioned. Any opinions expressed are those of Chris Hall and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's podcast, please call 210-625-4845 or visit pontumfinancial.com. Waddell and Reed does not offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a professional prior to making any financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.